Philosophers. Philosophers. <clears throat> Sorry. All right. Um, so today we're going to go back to, I guess, our more original format. And we're going to just discuss a topic that is entirely arbitrary and vague. Yeah. In true philosopher's fashion. Yes. So, so we must begin by talking about what we're talking about, which is property. Which is property. So, you dear listener, <laughs> what do you think of when someone says the word property? And not only that, but the harder question, what all is property or could be property? And how do you define that? And the implications of those definitions. And that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> so, in original philosopher's fashion, I have the Oxford, or as it has been renamed, the Lexico. Yes, I've noticed that. Yeah, it's just strange. It upsets me. Yes, it but does too. It's like, wow, you took a wonderful word like lexicon, chopped a letter off, and decided to make a website out of it. Good job. <clears throat> so, um, there are two definitions of property. Uh, the, the first one's really the one we're talking about, and that is a thing or things belonging to someone, possessions collectively. So, when someone says, get your property out of here, they mean all of the things that belong to you when you refer it that way. Um, <clears throat> can also, uh, in a more specific way, be referring to, it oftentimes is referred to as like land or structures or things that you can't just easily move. When someone says, I'm buying property, you technically, I guess, would be doing that anytime you acquired something. Right, that's the... Uh, Distinction between real property and personal property. Real property is something that is unmoving like land or a structure. Whereas personal property is something like an automobile or, uh, you know, any other personal belongings. Right. Um, there is a law definition here which says the right to the possession, use, or disposal of something, ownership. Which I think that's also a really good definition. Or it's another good definition because it's slightly different than the first um so <clears throat> in lay speak when we're normally going about our day and we say oh it's my property i think most of us have a pretty good working idea of what that means um and it's pretty it seems pretty common sense you know oh well, if that's your property, then you get to decide what gets done with it or who gets to have access to it or what happens to it. And more importantly, if someone else breaks it or causes damage to it or takes it, it is a wrong thing. You know what I mean? Um, uh, in a way, it's almost like an extension of yourself um, is the way it's treated sometimes. Or at least that's examples I've heard before is... You right, because if your if your property does something, you are held responsible. Yeah, exactly. Because property is generally assumed to be inanimate or otherwise, you know, not not uh, operating under its own agency. Exactly. Um. So there are some interesting problems when we start talking about property um, that come about. Um, we had mentioned a few in the pre-show, um, but I want to bring one up just, I mean, I guess, I don't know, do you want to get started talking about some, take these common definitions and break them and see how they break? Yeah, I mean, that seems like a good place to start. Okay. Um, I think one of the first place is that this needs to be done is um, what all 
can be property. And that's the first place I think a lot of people will begin to disagree. Um, and so I would argue this breaks the definition because it can't be unilaterally applied. Um, even like there are other things that by their definition imply something like you just use the word inanimate, you know, I can only use that word to describe things that are that way. You know, it, it is a self-explaining term in that way. Like, whereas property is more of a descriptive term about something. And so it doesn't apply everywhere. And it's not necessarily self-defined what is property in the way that something like animate or inanimate. It's also not measurable in the way that animate and inanimate is. Like, I can, I can observe a thing and see whether it can move under its own, you know, autonomy we'll say uh versus um versus whether it can't but i can't look at a thing and tell whose property it is exactly anyone's. or and another thing is you can't necessarily look at something and determine its propertyness. like yeah if anyone claims it at all or yeah. if it is claimable right that's what i, I guess i'm also talking, trying to get at sure. too so um there's a really good example of where most people um we talked about it a couple weeks ago um well, it's been quite a, it's been more than a couple weeks now but where um there was a huge debate going on about whether or not something could or could not be property in the form of other people <laughs> um and so for all the longest time in human tradition property was actually pretty simple in the fact that anything could be owned, anything could be property, including other people. Um, I won't say the times were so much simpler back then, but it, it, property in that world was uh, would have been a little easier to define. It's a localized world. phenomenon too, though, sort of. Um, sort of. Because there were other places where culturally nothing could be property. Exactly. Not even, you know, things that you found. Right. Um, but either way, the definitions of property were both pretty universal, you know, and they either apply to all things or no things. Very seldom did were there distinctions within the culture of what was and wasn't property. What's interesting about the modern world is we have a, a, a wide variety of things that are and aren't property and things that are kind of in between. And it's almost as though you can view whether or not something is property on a spectrum, which is another thing, the, the idea of you know, another way that we can break the definition of property is can something be owned by more than one person? And then if so, how does that work? That's a really, that's a really good one. Like, um, and we had, we talked about this kind of somewhat in the context of corporations, which are owned by at some points, millions of people by buying shares in it. Well, who is responsible when that corporation it does something wrong does something wrong you know do you spread the blame or not and it it it, it kind of breaks down you know it, at that point it's convenient that it's no one's property and no one owns it but we all own it sort you, of you you own it whenever it is convenient to own it and you disown it when it is inconvenient to own it but you can disown it while main, while maintaining your claim right you you need not abandon your claim in order to disown it because everyone collectively says, oh, well, or well, each each member of the collective owners says individually, well, I didn't do that, so you can't hold me responsible. Exactly. And so um, these are ways that the definition of property really begins to break down. And, and that's interesting to me. Um, so uh, your friend gave some other areas um, where... 
uh, people have kind of started to try to redefine property that in a way that makes more sense, but there are still issues um, with that. And, and uh, you listed them in the pre-show. I think it'd be interesting to kind of start down that list, even if we don't finish. Okay. Um, well, I only noted uh, uh, two of them that seemed particularly relevant and, and easy to discuss in vague terms because the, the rest were uh, just getting down to particular philosophers and, and what they had to say, which can take whole episodes on their own. Sure. But, uh, okay, but we'll, we'll start with something uh, sort of... Uh, generic uh the labor theory of value okay that things derive value from how much effort was put into acquiring them i believe that's a good definition of that so things derive value from the amount of effort it took to acquire them right now okay so the first question i have well the first thing that comes to mind with this is conflicting values because something might be easier for me to acquire than for you to acquire ergo things that i acquire to me have less value an object if you had an identical object as i did mine is less valuable because it did not take me as much effort to generate whereas yours would be more valuable but that's also a relative value I was going to say, yeah, I think that, uh, I think it could potentially make that work because it is less valuable to you in, in some sort of way. Like you, you are more willing to part with it because you know, it wouldn't be that hard to get another one. Sure. But that also kind of plays into, uh, and now we're starting to kind of reach into economic terms of scarcity and what we're like an economic term of scarcity is some things can be easy to acquire but they're unique. That doesn't necessarily mean they have value. You sure. Know? Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think this does kind of go off onto onto a different tangent about economics and value rather than than property itself. Right. So that might be a bit of a red herring. Maybe, but it does also speak, I think, to a way we typically, uh, in the libertarian sense of define property. And uh, or address the question of where property comes from. And uh, traditionally, um, there are two principles uh, defining property. The first is uh, you own yourself. We'll get into that one in a minute. But the second one is property is generated from work. And so uh, that's one philosophy that would kind of go hand in hand with that one. It's it doesn't belong. Nothing belongs to anybody until it has been cultivated that's the word that's often used um, because the theory came from back when everybody was a farmer and so the most common type of property was food or food or materials gained from farming and or harvesting or mined you know out of those three ways most everything came about through one of those three ways and there go and uh, because of that you know, if you are the farmer and you farmed the food, then you own the food because you put the work in to make it. Um, that's one way that I could see being similar to that definition of uh, value being derived from effort. Um, you could almost sub uh, plug the word property in for effort. So anything that you use effort to acquire in a material sense becomes property. And uh, also, I think we need to go and address this for the sake 
We've discussed intellectual property before in our video on copyright. And so if you're looking for a discussion about um, intellectual property, which is a whole other thing, stop right here, stop here, go watch that and come back. <laughs> so we don't want to waste your time thinking that we're going to get onto intellectual property today because we, I, we won't. <laughs> nope. So anyway, sidebar closed. <clears throat> but even then that kind of has, um, that theory has had strain in the breakdown uh, through the years, especially through the Industrial Revolution, for example. There were strains on it before. For example, it could take more than one farmer to farm crops. And if your job is, if one person plants it, then another person comes along and reaps it. Whose is it? You know, you both put effort in. But which one of you actually owns it? Right. And this gets even worse when we start talking in terms of like assembly line factories where... I didn't own the parts, but just like the farmer didn't necessarily own the dirt. Like he wouldn't have had to own the dirt necessarily to farm in it, but he technically is cultivating the dirt just as much as he is the, you could claim that he's cultivating the earth in the same way that he's cultivating out, you know, plants from it. So he owns both, but then you, you know, it, it, it's still not very clear. Like when you get down, you know, I feel like, and of course, with anything, the more you zoom into it and the more um, granular you get, you'll find inconsistencies. But that's not, in my opinion, that deep to start running into inconsistencies. Um, so, and, and and a lot of the Marx, Marxist theories on economics, you know, he states that the problems with societies and capitalism itself is the fact that no one can say they own anything except for the capitalist, you know, the, the, the person who owned it all to begin with. There's no way you know, he's in a high level, not going into Marxism here, but you know, there's no way to acquire new property because it's all already owned. And so the system perpetuates unfairness in, in his eyes. And we'll go into that at a different time as well, but I think we should probably just talk about capitalism at some point. Yeah, capitalism and Marxism. But then again, um, new open sidebar. We are going to start going through and doing uh, episodes on just works and theories as well, like more read in episodes. And I think that's that'll be a good time to, to go into those because ca both capitalism and Marxism are theories that were championed by one person to get started and then developed on by other people, for example. But um, back to property and where it comes from. Um, I've yet to, you know, all of the theories presented thus far have a really wishy-washy way of saying where property comes from or how you can even, uh, or what you can ascribe the value, what you can ascribe the characteristic of property to. Um, and that takes us, I think, to the next one, which is the libertarian concept of self-ownership, which is the other way that this theory, I won't say the libertarian theory because there are many, but in libertarian circles, there's the concept of self-ownership, and by your very nature, you own yourself, and because you are you, and it's it's axiomatic at that point, you know, you're just saying you own yourself because you own yourself, but then there are problems with that too, you know, at what point does that end, and you are, and the more we've learned about human biology, for example, you are constantly being replaced by yourself and losing parts of yourself as well. I think that's more of a technical detail than it is yeah. a philosophical concern. It is. Isn't we're just playing Ship of Theseus, which is really just kind of a distraction? That is Because does it really matter? <clears throat> Not in the practical sense, no. 
But then the other thing is if you can own yourself, then you can, if you, if you own yourself and you are property, you can give yourself to someone else or you sell yourself to someone else. Exactly. And be traded about. So most people are uncomfortable with that notion. That doesn't sit well. And it, so is, is it that we just don't like it? Because, I, you know, there are truths about the reality that we don't like, but it's how it is, you know. Yep. Objectively speaking. Or is it that we're getting it wrong, you know? And the whole point of defining things is to help make a better sense of reality, you know, in that case, you know? So. Right. So with all that in mind, uh, I had some, I, I wanted to throw a little bit of a twist into this. Um and pull pull uh, an anti citizen X, Uh-oh. and uh, and pull the rug out from under it, and say that all of this discussion about theories of property is a red herring, uh, because what really matters here, well, because all these theories of property are internally inconsistent in one way or another, all of them are, and no one really has you know no no one really has anything to say about where property comes from. In a, in a meaningful way. So I think what's really important is we should attempt to create a pragmatic case for property. Okay. What goals are we actually trying to achieve with the notion of property? And if we can identify those, then we can come up with a definition of property that makes sense universally and dispel these questions. All right. I think one of the biggest goals that the whole concept of property tries to solve has to do with authority. That's one of them. And it's mainly to resolve disagreements in a a scarcity scenario, which is always. Um, Because there is scarcity, people will fight over what they need. Well... If we all know who has what, and we all at least acknowledge it, it's less likely that we will essentially resort to open violence against each other over things, you know. Uh, that's one th- That's one of the things property does, is help establish who has the right to say what gets to happen with what, you know. Which is what property is trying to describe, but the ultimate goal that's trying to achieve is forwarding that acknowledgement on to other people because it doesn't matter if you think that you have the right to something or that it is your property if other people don't acknowledge it as your property if everybody but you acknowledges it as your property in a societal scenario it kind of doesn't matter if you say it's your property unless you have a nuke <laughs> you know or the ability to t- to keep it um it's kind of it kind of leads back almost to without going too much into it, what we were talking about with uh, um, responsibility beginning rights, you know, it doesn't matter if I claim to have the right to something. And even if objectively speaking, I do, if someone else can take it from me easily in like on a society, which is just a desert island with two people, it doesn't matter unless I'm able to defend it and keep it, you know. It's not my property because it'll be stolen and I can't get, you know, no one's going to help me take it back. So we don't live on two person islands everywhere. We live in a vast, you know, sweeping landscapes full of millions of people. And so the way that you can make that work in that type of society is 
come up with some way that everybody can understand or have some idea of who owns what or who gets to say what happens to what. Uh, I think that's one form. I think the second form, the second thing that it tries to achieve, the the concept of property, and I don't know if uh, this may be incorrect, but um, at some point we will need things that we cannot get ourselves, either through lack of our ability or location or some, for some reason, a good example being, you know, I cannot get salt for myself. I do not live in a place where it occurs in nature, and I do not have the knowledge or ability to extract it from somewhere else. So at some point, I'm going to have to get it from someone who does know that. And so how do you facilitate something like trade? And, and that's why I say I don't know if one begets the other. Like, I don't know if because we acknowledge property, trade then becomes the new question on how we facilitate that or... If the notion of property came from people wanting to trade, right, or things. it's like, like like people happened to be in, you know, possession of some things, and they just agreed with each other. Okay, I will let you have this with no dispute if you let me have that with no dispute. Right, but even then, that kind of harkens back to the first thing I was saying, which is how we start solving the scarcity problem non-violently, or without force, or with consent instead of force. You know, so the real the real question that we're asking, if like if we're trying to pragmatically define whether something is your property, the real question we're asking is, should should people TM allow you to possess a thing uncontested? Right. Or to, to control a thing uncontested. And and furthermore, should we act against others for attempting to undermine that? Yeah, I think that's a good idea, a good way of explaining it. And I think that kind of pipes into some of the examples in which property breaks down. Um, what comes to mind right now is access to water. Water is a physical thing. I can own a bottle of it, at least in the common understanding right now. Um, I can even own land right now, technically, and on it a lake. But since we all need water to live, you know, and we have governments in place, most sources of water are not, are, it, most, most bodies of water are not privately owned, for example. They are government, especially sources of water that we used to drink from. They are owned by a governmental authority. And so we kind of all agreed that since this is so such a necessary thing for life, we shouldn't let one person have it. It's too valuable or it it's, it's almost like um, it's too valuable. And if I can't have it, no one can. But instead of no one can, it's if I if if I don't think someone else should have it, everybody should have it, you know. I don't know if that makes any sense or the priority. I, of, I think it's more like if someone were to try to lay claim to the watering hole, so to speak. Yeah. Um, we take this as a threat. Right. Because it's, it's, 
because you are threatening to deprive me of essential resources. Or you could. If, right. if I allowed if I allowed you to say that it's yours, then you could tell me I couldn't have it. And then I would die. So I'm not going to say that. You know, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to acknowledge your right to it. We let it slide for smaller things, like if you have a pond in your backyard that we're not using as a water source. Right, like, because you know, no one is using it except you. It's not It's not the watering hole, it's your pond. Yes, but if it's or a your source swimming of water, pool or whatever. Right, but if it's a source of water, it's a problem, you know, at that point. Um, an even more extreme form of this that we've never had to deal with, I mean, the, it, this kind of extends from, like the extreme case in this favor is like, is air, essentially. You can actually own air in compressed gaseous, in canister form, but it's... Or indeed in uncompressed form, but then we we pretend like the air's not in there and say that you own the container. But, right. <laughs> um, but we've never even... Because we've never had to worry about it, it's always just been so freely available because it's everywhere in the atmosphere. We've not even had to bother, but the same theory would work here in this extreme case is... If someone were to try to lay claim to the air, we could make the same cl- we could make the same case that no, too vital for use. Not going to let you try to start nickeling, nickel and diming me because you say, "Well, I lay claim to all of the." Well, oxygen, and you know. indeed, um, we we do contest, you know, certain things that people do to the air because we think it's not their property. Um, you know, if someone is polluting the local air, exactly, we come down on them for it because. This is a threat. Mm-hmm. They are they are causing the air to be unusable by us. Right. Now, let's take it to the other extreme case of something that is in no way necessary, like a piece of furniture. A chair, for example. Yes. Why should I allow you to keep your chair? Well, the argument would be in this in the same framework is no one needs this chair and therefore because you don't need it like you will not die if you do not have this chair i I might you won't (laughs) and the majority of people would agree that you won't right um but someone made it anyway and i wanted it so the fallback of instead of me beating him up and taking it because we don't want people doing that either is i exchanged for it you know, work was done, a chair was created, and then I traded for it, and it was his first, and then it is mine now, because it was created by somebody, and now it is mine. And you, everyone acknowledges my claim, because if they were to go through the same process and acquire the chair, like, it, it doesn't matter, it's almost like you take the individual, you take the massive uh, third-party observers, and the individual in question, and both people would have to agree that if they were in either place, they would want it that way. So Right. So, well, yeah. Yeah. Cause, okay. So, yeah. And on bo- both sides of the coin that I mentioned previously, um, society should allow you to keep your chair because you're not threatening anybody with it. So, there, there's no harm in you having it. And society should prevent me from commandeering your chair because... Uh, because that defeats our original goal of not killing one another over material, unnecessary material things. Right. Or indeed any material things, I suppose. Right. So, I think there does exist a conflict here, though. Okay. Perhaps. 
when it comes to things that by their design are only usable or their only real practical or their intended purpose is to harm other people. Okay. Weapons, for example. Weapons, okay. Well, I think I think the same thing applies, though. Okay. So long as you are not threatening somebody else with your weapon, then there is no objection here. True. And indeed, if someone were to threaten you, and you were to respond by employing your weapon against them, your employment of the weapon is itself a discouragement of the behavior that we want to avoid. That is true. But there is a distinct difference, okay. I think. Um, threatening before had a lot to do with the fact that you would die in absence of the substance. For example, in air and water we've used before, those are both necessities for facilitating human life. So you would die in their absence. You would not necessarily die in absence of a weapon. You can make the case, um, and I don't know if that's where we would need to go. Um, yeah, you would not die in absence of it, right? And so, because of that, you should be allowed to keep it. I guess was the same logical mm-hmm. training. Like the, the the weapon would be treated like the chair because you would not die in absence of it, right? I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, the, the weapon is just any other object. Right. And so... Until okay. it's being used to threaten somebody. Right. Okay. Now, I, now okay, I, I worked it out, though. Um, in my head, I, I was kind of going on a, on a bad tangent there. Um, but that does, you know, then there's the extreme case in weapons, which is nuclear weapons. You know, which that, that a lot of people, it's funny, will make, will make the claim if, well, if you're allowed to have a knife why not just let them have a nuke you know let's take it to that logical extreme well this i think would work in the same framework we've been working with so far is well it by its existence you won't die without it but it by its existence is threatening right well and indeed well well now i would need to try to fit this into this uh this bed that i've made for myself but um previously i have i have argued that in a in a free, even in a purely free society, the society should not allow private ownership of nuclear arms because it's it's not it's not merely that the purpose of a nuclear weapon is for hurting people, but that there is no way to use a nuclear weapon without hurting somebody who is unrelated to the conflict. Okay, but you could take it one step back from there, and what about the capability to create a nuclear weapon? Is that the same as the nuclear weapon itself? So, like, if you just have all the parts laying around Not to create a warhead, sort of. Real extreme example time. Um, hypothetical. I want to build a nuclear reactor to generate power. That's oh. not threatening, is it? No. Okay. But in order to me, in order for me to be able to construct a reactor. I would have to have all of the same, if I had, and I'm saying like vertical monopoly, be able to construct my own reactor, right. which is, I got to have to be able to work the metal, the controls and all this stuff, right? And enrich the uranium or plutonium, whatever radioactive isotope I need. For example, I would, within that vertical monopoly, still have the capability of also creating a nuclear weapon. And that's the problem we actually are seeing right now in like for, in Iran, for example, you know, and other company, in other country companies. <laughs> In other countries, they don't have actual nuclear weapons, but they want the ability to make nuclear power. And we 
and it's kind of hard because we're afraid to let them do that because they could make nuclear weapons yeah it's a it's the same technology just being used in two different implementations right it's the same reaction just in slow motion exactly and so by extension i can't so in the same society where i can't own a nuke can i then can i at least own the ability to make one but then again that could be the same problem it's and and this is what i'm trying to get to is well of course that's the same with with any weapon like we, we were going to say that you can't own the materials to make a weapon you know then you wouldn't be allowed to own anything in, well yeah well yeah anything because anything, anything can be fashioned into a weapon but even if we were to like classify weapons as you know items you know conventionally like even if we just like laid out a list of weapons and 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 you know, only pick things that were, you know, not not improvised weapons, but but purely weapons. You know, uh, then you know, you still wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to own anything made of metal if you could also own anything capable of heating it to the point where you could fashion it into a knife, for instance, or something like that. Then then we, we get into all kinds of ridiculous scenarios like that. Yeah, so you can't make a fire essentially, right? Because any run of the mill fire is hot enough to melt some kind of some metal. kind of metal. Yeah into a sharp enough object to kill somebody. And that's the thing I'm trying to get to also. But then again, we also wouldn't be able to allow that for the manufacturer of whatever other metal item that you owned because they could have fashioned it into a knife instead of the thing that you have. Yep. And uh, not only that, but with the... We've been talking about threat. Threat is subjective. What I find threatening may not be what you find threatening. And that's another thing we run into is a problem. And and, and uh, say what you will about it, but there are certain societies that are more... Tend to take things that aren't threats as threats more often than societies that say, well, that's not threatening to me. And it's in that, in that society, an object isn't threatening. But in a different society, it would be. Or in a culture, I should say, instead of society. Yeah, somewhat interchangeable in our current scope. But... Um, so let's just look at it within the United States, you know, most, a lot of urban cultures in which, you know, which is places where you see, for example, people wanting to ban firearms because they see firearms as being threatening and enough of them will get together and declare them threatening. And so in that, if we just cropped out every other society from that one, it falls in the same category as water and air we should designate a central authority to have all of the threatening things, all of the things that we don't want to be used as a threat. So they're fine with only the government having firearms, but in other places they don't see firearms as particularly a threat. And so they should be treated more like property instead of a resource that is in this class of things that need to be controlled by a central authority or someone that we all trust, you know, whatever that is. You know, because in, in all actuality, even in the case of water and air, or in the water anyway, um, someone still has the right to deny access and provide access. Although in the in the hypothetical we said about, um, you know, people in their watering hole, you don't necessarily need a central authority for people to feel threatened by someone attempting to claim the watering hole. They can get together and go after that person, you know. Temporarily form an alliance against that person as opposed to, you know, the the having a permanently installed entity with firepower to enforce ownership or lack thereof of the of the the lake. True. Fair enough. But in the same case of okay, so in the case of weapons, it's one of those things where you would need to have the ability to enforce. 
But then again, even a society in which the majority would not need a weapon, like take guns out of the equation. Let's just make it sharp, pointy sticks. One man with sharp, pointy stick versus 100 men without sharp, pointy sticks. Man with sharp, pointy stick still loses. Yes. So they don't even need the weapons to deny the person who would have the weapon. And all they would need to do is catch whiff of the person wanting this thing to deny it. And so I personally, in many of the discussions we've had, do not like leaving things up to the discretion of subjectivity. However, we are in the pragmatic realm where at some point, because of the very nature of pragmatism, we're going to run into subjectivity. It's unavoidable. But... You know, I, I just don't know. And and that's the thing as well is how does this, it, it forwards, it, it creates a different problem and which is fine. You know, pragmatically trying to solve one problem will often yield a different problem as well. And I, in an ideal world, we would want to find a final solution or a final, you know, at buck stops here, we're done, you know. Um, but, you know, you, with a societal example of, well, this society finds this threatening, this society doesn't those both societies exist in the same sphere so how do they get along together you know are they you know and and go on and on and on and on but i think i'm kind of creeping outside the scope of maybe our discussion here but i I am still interested though about the question let's go back to the let's actually get back on track and let me stop just derailing us a little bit here on uh you know the, the nuclear question i don't know if that was fully answered Uh, No, it wasn't. Okay. So even in our framework, um, you know, that you can't just look at the property itself. You have to look at the way by which the property is generated too. If if that's what we're calling things that are allowed to be property, you know. And I know nuclear weapons is an extreme example, but it's, it's a real thing, you know. And um, I'm sure there are things that aren't quite as extreme that would still break the line, but like normal weapons. Um, but I don't know. And uh, I don't know if we could. I'm trying to think if there is a way we can define property by the time at which it would be necessary. Like, that's a thing that happens sometimes. Like, the definition's irrelevant, like, especially in pragmatic instances, the definition's irrelevant until it is called into question or until it is invoked. Like, I think that was my, that was my goal here was to concoct a definition of property, which is defined in terms of the problems we're trying to solve with the notion of property rather than our head in the clouds, you know, ethereal metaphysical concept of property. So, let's take a look at what attributes are attributed to things that we already consider to be property. Like, like what are things that you can do? Like, what are the characteristics of property or things you can do with it? Um, the first one we've already said is it can be created and it can be traded. Or it, it can be bought and sold or traded. Do you agree with those things so far? Is there sure. anything that is property that cannot be bought, sold, or traded or created? Let's put self-ownership on the back burner. Sure. 
because that, that I think that's just sort of I think that's more meant as an analogy anyway when people use that. So let's talk about personal property. Yes. Um. No, I don't see anything objectionable about about trading. Okay. Um. Other things that can happen to property that can, it can be stolen. That's a negative thing, but it is it's. it's can anything not prop? Okay, new question. Is there anything that is not property that can be bought, sold, traded, or created? Again, leaving life off the table for now. I don't guess so. I think the only thing that could be potentially called into question is land. Because you can't, you can technically make more of it, but is it really, I mean, I don't know, I guess you can fabricate it. Well, you're really just moving some other land. Yeah, or if you're going to be real extreme, manipulating molecules <laughs> to make it, <laughs> but still, it, that's anything though, that's at that point. Okay, Um. and then is there anything that isn't property that can be stolen? I mean, I think, I think that, uh, like, well, yeah, it just depends on what you mean by, by steal. If by steal, you mean like physically take a thing. I would just say wrongfully. Okay. Let's, let's, let's go to the higher level. Let, let's go to the um, interface of the term steal, you know, wrongfully acquired. In, like, the broad moral sense. like if Yeah, I think that... Well, okay, so like the first thing that comes into mind is stolen business. Okay. I can, I can wrongfully, I can unethically convince your customers to, you know, to, to, to do business with me. For instance, uh, you know, if I had uh, an agreement with you to not compete after... Uh, stopping or you know terminating my employment with you for instance um but then went and competed anyway using lists of your clients and and convincing them to to do business with me i think that would be unethical and we could we could call that quote unquote stolen okay i've, I, I've wrongfully acquired your clients but at the t- but at the thing what is being wrongfully acquired not the clientele well, no, because yeah, the cl- the clients are not my property. We but wouldn't we wouldn't say that they're my property. Money, but yes. Well, which is property, which which that in in any form can already be stolen. Well, I, I, well like the thing the thing that's been taken here is the the source of money. I think this in this case, this might actually be a different thing. Um, because the person does not own the business that they would have gotten. I don't think you can lay claim to something that has yet to exist. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why I said that in this particular instance, I had an agreement with you to not go do that thing, and then I breached the agreement. Right, but the breach of the agreement isn't theft. It's a breach of an agreement. Right, well, that's why... I didn't wrongfully acquire anything at the, at the moment I breached the agreement. Like the moment I say I'm the moment I breach the agreement, is it is the moment I breach the agreement the moment I acquire business 
from someone else that in all likelihood would have gone to you. Is that when the agreement is broken or is it when I intend to do that? Well, yeah, I guess the, the well, attempt, I think, is the, the more important thing. When, when you attempt to acquire or when I attempt to acquire the business from you that I agreed not to try to acquire. Right. And see, I think in this case, that's actually just dishonesty. It's not so much the wrongful acquisition that makes that bad. What makes it, I don't think it's that I'm wrongfully acquiring it. That's the bad thing about that. It's that I am acting in bad faith against you. That one's questionable for sure. But in the grand majority anyway, I still think that when we when we talk about stealing, actually like if to steal in the... I can give it back to you kind of way. Or if we just limit it to physical things, because that I think actually might come up more in a discussion around intellectual property or uh, let's just say a non-physical property (laughs) because business in and of itself is non-physical until it's transacted and there's a physical exchange. Um, But I would even be okay with limiting my definitions down to physical property for now for the sake of making the argument. Um, because the point I'm trying to get to is, you know, I think we can look at what is property more by those characteristics that we're ascribing to it. And if it's a thing that can be taken, if it's a thing that can be, if it, if it fits, checks all these boxes, it's property, um, bought, sold, created and stolen. And I'm sure there are probably more, um, that we could figure out but those four things right now seem to only apply to things we consider to be property and that's why i'm asking the question is there anything that you would not consider property that fits one of these characteristics because if if by very loose term exhaustion we can eliminate everything else and only things that meet these criteria then we have a working pragmatic definition or at least checklist we can operate from and then we can start looking at other examples okay um and so i guess the and the only time it matters whether something is or isn't property like you cannot assess before any of these four things occur whether or not something is property they're almost you know in a quantum state until that point you know unless it's being acquired bought sold or traded together or stolen the the question about whether or not it is property is irrelevant. It's only when one of those four things occur on an object that you really start to care pragmatically whether it's property or not. I also suppose, um, and then there's the fifth one that we talk about with property or not, and that is when you are called in and held responsible for something outside of yourself. You know, we typically only say you're responsible for something that you directly do not do when it's your property that's doing it. That's another area, I think. Um, And that raises the other question. Is there anything that you can be held responsible for outside of yourself other than what your property is causing you to be responsible for? Yes. Okay. And see, that's what I'm trying to get at. Is there a... Well, so the thing that I'm thinking of is... Well, I think think we might have... Uh, talked about this before in some other some other context but um i can i can be responsible for doing something with your property 
So something that by all accounts is your property, I could acquire it and then do something with it and I'm responsible for it. I'm responsible for it because I did the thing. Okay. Because I set in motion whatever happened. So let's put this in a practical example. I own a firearm. It is my property. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I care about whether or not it's my property is because now you have it. And it has gone, it has changed hands from me to you. Now, wrongfully or rightfully, does it matter? Am I responsible for what you do with it? I would say no. Well, well, I would say that gets that gets sticky. Okay, um, let's do a different example. I own a construction company. Okay, I own a bulldozer. Yes, you're driving my bulldozer, and you run into someone's car with it, uh-huh. or someone's house. Yep, we would all say that you are responsible, right? Is that what you're getting yes. at? But it's my property. But that it's your property. Did the damage? Yep. Okay. Or even even something constructive. Uh, you own a hoe, and I borrow it to make a garden, let's say. I'm responsible for doing the gardening. The garden is mine, even though I use your property to do it. Hmm. I actually think that we can resolve this within the same system. It's not my property. It's yours on an outside agreement that it is to be my property again after a certain amount of time or some colloquial agreement. Like that's the whole point of a lend is I think in that moment, it actually does change hands and becomes your property. But then again, it doesn't because if you were to break the hoe, I would expect you to reimburse me and pay for it. So it is still mine. That's an interesting that's that's where we're breaking down. Okay. But I think that's a lot better place to be to, to, at the get-go. So I think, you know, do we need to look at whether or not this that checkbox of being held responsible applies to things that are property or not? Like, is it important? Or can we drop it and still have a f- functioning system pragmatically for property with the four things we've already kind of talked about? Or is it a requirement? Oh right, I guess that's why I was trying to I was trying to put it in terms of, you know, that that property is trying to capture whether it is permissible for someone to be in possession of a thing. Um but it's not just possession though, because in the case of the hoe, you're in possession of it or, or, even okay. though it's my property. I, yeah. They're not I, I use I use possession loosely there. Um okay. so yeah, whether whether you should have the controlling interest in a thing. Okay. Hmm. It's not, you know... You could also say in the constructive definition that the hoe is not what yields the crop. It's the person who's putting in the work. The hoe is necessary, but... Well, no, the hoe isn't necessary. No, it's not. It just makes it easier. Sure. Um, but even if it were necessary, that's not really important. Right. It's the fact is that you're actually putting forth the work. So it's not the tools that yield the end result. It's the work that it yields the end result. And therefore, it can still be my property and I not actually or even Actually, even it. if it is the tools which yield the work. Like, let's say that uh, suppose you lend to me... Um, 
a 3D printer, which is pre-programmed to make a certain thing. So I'm not putting in any work to program it. Um, but I, well, and let's say that I'm not even paying for the electricity to run it either. Or the PLA or whatever material. Yeah, or, or the material. I'm, I'm borrowing all of this and using somebody else's power. Right. But I have, well, I, I say I, the machine under my Super. supervision has created a thing that I think we would agree is mine because it because the machine and the materials were lent to me for purposes of manufacturing the thing. But at that point, I do think it is still, I am actually giving you what is created because it is my, because my property, because it's still my property. Like, for example, the PLA in this case, or whatever plastic you're using in the mm-hmm. machine, is the same thing as what you get out. It's just in a different arrangement. Mm-hmm. And... I gave you that. Like, I'm giving you what is being put through and made work. And so it's still Effectively, just... Effectively, yes. But that's what I'm saying, though, yeah. is it, it can. it's fine because it, the machine does this magical thing. Before the PLA goes in it, it's mine. But as soon as it comes out the other end, it's yours. But I'm giving it to you. It's still an exchange. But it's not about... And in the same way that... Well, let's take this to the... To the, the the classic old Marxian, the Marxist problem of people working in factories. You know, people are putting in the work and they're making the thing, but it's not their property. You know, this is still fine in this system because I'm buying it from them by paying them a salary. It was all arranged beforehand and it was a term of an agreement. That's why it's still my property. I bought the raw material. I built the factory, but the factory is irrelevant. In this case, I'm paying for not your effort, but I'm paying for the end result of your effort. I'm buy. I am pre-purchasing it in advance, and we are under contract that you cannot deny me that. And we all agree that that's okay. I think that still I works think, in I the think, system. Yeah, I think. Well, I think contracts kind of break this notion anyway. Like, I think. Yeah, but con- I think co- contracts are something like external to this because because really when it comes to disputes about property, it's when there is no formal agreement about a thing. How do we decide what to do? Right, but that's the thing that I think we're looking at um, with uh, the contracts. I think still work because what we were talking about is property only matters and is only ever instantiated when these things happen when it is okay so we can add another one to the list when it is created traded bought and sold wrongfully acquired or contested right now contested i think is too broad of a term i don't know if it is okay but here's the thing you and i can contest ideas but we wouldn't call ideas property would we well, I wouldn't. Some people would. Fair enough. But if we're just having an argument about over who's right, we are in contest over that. I don't know if I'm bending the definition. of. I think you are warping it. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. I'm sorry. Or or at the very least, that's way out of scope. Yeah, I'm pulling in my bad debate strategies here yes. to try to throw you out. <laughs> um, but still, I think 
contracts essentially are agreements around when this instantiation occurs. Like, if we were to instantiate property in one of these ways, what would happen to it? If we're just pre figuring right, it you're out. settling the dispute before the dispute even occurs yes. to make sure that there isn't actually a dispute. Yes. And and a good example of this back to labor is I know that if you make the shoe, if we're in a shoe factory, I'm, I, I threw that in by the way. Um, with If you come into my factory and make a shoe without my permission, besides the fact that you've stolen my property, like in the form of, you know, the use to my machine and raw materials, like that's one thing, but I actually wouldn't have a claim to the shoe. Like, real life example, if I were to go into a modern shoe factory and at night somehow and build a shoe out of it, the owner of the manufacturer, the manufacturer actually wouldn't have a claim to the shoe itself. They would have a claim to the... If the the material was theirs, then they kind of would. No, because the material is, at that point, it's been worked upon. It is, the shoe is my property, but they can get at me for the cost of the raw material. I mean, okay, so... Suppose you have a house with carpeted floors. If I sneak in and cut up your carpet and put it, you know, neatly in a stack, I've shaped it. It's no longer the same, but you still lay claim to the carpet. That's true. Well, I claim that that's true. But have you made anything new out of it? Yeah, you've rearranged it. I, I've rearranged Well, yeah, and what's the difference between just putting it in a new place in a different, or like, what's the difference between cutting it up and shaping it into something that you would deem "quote unquote" useful? Right, but the thing is, like, if I lined my car with it, is that any different, really? No, but here's the thing: would I get after you to get my carpet back? Probably. Why? It's been cut up. It's no use to me anymore. It's been devalued. I don't want the carpet. I want it replaced. I want the value that I originally paid to acquire the thing in a replacement. In the same way, the manufacturer doesn't want the shoe because they probably couldn't sell it anyway or they wouldn't sell it because it's likely not going to be identical. And that's irrelevant, really. But what they are after is the they're looking down the line and saying, this is how much I would have made for that shoe and I've lost, you know, or not, not how much I would have made for the shoe, but I've lost material assets in the form of the materials. And so I need to recoup that. So they're not actually after the shoe. I mean, they don't be wrong. Human nature, they'd want it back just to be spiteful. But in reality, what they've lost by that guy making a shoe is raw materials. And then, of course, you know, minis- miscellaneous damages and wear on the machines. But that's, you know, neither here nor there. Probably negligible compared to the actual material cost, which is a lot easier to quantify. In the same way, I don't want you to buy me the exact shape and size of carpet that, I mean, that that you stole and then cut up. Like, I, I don't want that because it's not the same. You know, I want things to be restored. I want my whole carpet restored to the way it was. Like, you have essentially damaged my carpeted floor as one piece. And so I need it replaced. I'm going to throw away the carpet with the missing square out of it that you then cut up and made into an origami bird or whatever. <laughs> I want a new carpet. You know, it's not that I want it back because it's useless to me now. It's that... But I, but you want your floor to be carpeted again. Yes. yes. And so it's that I'm wanting the value that I paid that you have... From, to, the value that I ascribe to it fulfilled in replacement. 
and you should have to pay for it because you wrongfully took it from me. And that's what we're disagreeing on. It really has nothing to do with the fact that you now have something that was mine. It's more that you destroyed something or rearranged without my permission something that was mine. And it's not the result that I care so much for. It's what I lost, not what you gained. And don't be wrong, I'm sure there are instances where I would care. I think that might be actually a defining difference too, you know, uh, between uh, something that's property and something that's not. It's if I care about what I lost, it's property. If I care about what you gained, it's not, it's, it either is a different kind of property or it's something else, you know, and that's what we get into with intellectual property a lot. People don't care so much about the value and hours they lost generating that thing. It's that that other person's acquiring value from it that wasn't mine yet. You know, it's all ethereal. It's, you know, that's, that's what I think when we're getting back into intellectual property, which we're trying to stay out of, but that's a difference, you know, but it's when it's my carpet, I don't, you know, I don't care that you have this carpet bird origami carpet bird thing or whatever you cut it up and rearrange it into. It's that I don't have a carpet anymore. And I think that would hold true for all types of all things that could be considered property. Um, and I actually don't know that that could be held the same for anything that's not property or that we wouldn't already commonly define lo even loosely as property. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering now. Sure. I'm wondering if this, uh, like, for, like based on this, can we come up with a coherent definition of property? which captures the goals without being metaphysical because that's what I wanted. I possibly. I'm writing this down cuz I'm no I'm going to forget. So, what we've had so far, characteristics of things which are only property that can only be characterized as well Things that can only be characterized as property. Um, the first one we had said was crea uh, created. Was that the first one? I know yeah. traded was one of them. Yeah. So created. Traded. I think we... Should we be specific and say created through work? Because things get created all the time that aren't inherently property. Like I don't think we're saying that anything that's created is property. Are we? Well, that is kind of what you said. Um, or at the moment it's created, could a value of property, could could it be assigned ownership to somebody and be considered property when it is created? Yeah. Okay. Created, traded. I'm going to put wrongfully acquired. E.g. stolen. Hmm. And what was the last one we just we just went over? That contested. Contested. So, those are the four things. Created, traded, wrongfully acquired, or stolen, and contested. And I, and the way to disprove this and break it, obviously, is try to find something that doesn't meet all four definitions. And 
since we're existing in the pragmatic space, what's nice about it is if it breaks that one definition, but not the other three, you kill that one back up and see if there's another one. And then maybe that's as far as you can go for now until you come with a better one. Like I think the goal in a pragmatic definition is you try to get as specific as possible without breaking the paradigm. And there might be some gray room into accepting exceptions, you know, like the list of exceptions should be finite (laughs) and not infinite. And once you have either a finite list of exceptions with everything else outside of the exceptions being characterized by those traits it's either a good definition or if the list of exceptions is too long you back up one and try again um and i think we could work from that to actually come up with an idea of property so i don't know if you want to do a part two on this maybe maybe um at some point or fledge flesh the theory out later in kind of a other way i think i think this is a good place to leave it okay give people to uh you know let our listeners uh, think about it um maybe we can accept some uh some listener feedback on this mm, yeah um and then uh if, if there's enough substance to warrant a full episode we can do that or we can try to wrap it into some other topic, topic. yeah all right well i'm very happy with that i think this went well so yep all right i have no state of the channel or state of the podcast today because I think I pretty much nailed it last time. Anything I'm missing? I don't think so. All right. Well, with that all being said, philosophers. Philosophers.